BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, in 1982, seven people died after taking pain pills laced with cyanide. After four decades, has the culprit finally been named? We'll discuss the podcast, Unsealed, the Tylenol Murders, from the Chicago Tribune. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of the These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Buenas noches, Rebecca. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of The Final Curtain, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello, Rebecca. Actually, author of the top two selling books at Water Street Bookstore in October. I Wait, saw. Mean, num- both of them? Yes. Yes. Wow. <laughs> Her first book Fuck you, been- James Patterson. Fuck you, Stephen, Stephen King. King. The Taylor Swift of Exeter. Yep. Yeah. What was the... I actually said fuck you to someone on Twitter that was uh, John Meacham. John yeah. Meacham was number four. Oh, John Meacham. <laughs> it was like local author Laura Bricker one, local author Bricker two. There's a third local author who third was number girl, three. Uh, Reverend Emily. Yeah. And then it was John Meacham number four. Fuck you, John Meacham, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Fuck you, John Take Meacham. That. Take, Take that. that. What the hell did John Meacham write that people are Something buying? Something about Abe Lincoln. Yeah. Who? Oh Shmabe Lincoln. I thought it had Lincoln on the cover. The I don't Abe know. Abe Lincoln cozy murder mystery. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Mary Todd, let's go to the theater. <laughs> Ooh. We'll have some scones after. Robert Todd went to school in Exeter. Robert Todd oh. Lincoln. Oh. Mm-hmm. Well, people talk about that all the time, don't they? <laughs> they no. do, actually. They do in Exeter. They say, do you know Robert Todd Lincoln went to Exeter? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. There's a sign downtown about Abraham Lincoln, right? There is. And my son was the little Lincoln when they unveiled that sign. He was dressed up in a little Lincoln suit. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. <laughs> of course he was. Jesus Christ. I hope Toby oh, yeah. Ball can top this. And finally, our captain of all things cynical, the author of the City Trilogy of Novels, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast, plus our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. How are you going to top that? I'm not even going to try. <laughs> Hi, Rebecca. There was the time that Mallard Fillmore visited. Uh... <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Remember when my mom took the boys to like the Grover Cleveland estate and like where they made like cheese? What's it called? Calvin Coolidge. Oh, Calvin Coolidge. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And my kids, my kids were like, 
Grandma, we're seven and nine. Like they literally. What would make you think? Although today Henry would be so fucking interested. No, in actually, that, they right? were like eleven and thirteen, and they like climbed trees, and they also <laughs> learned that Calvin Coolidge made beer. So they mm. they completely like grifted Grandma into letting them try the beer. <laughs> so it's like they they grifted museum officials. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. All right. There was that. There was that. All right. So, so Kevin, uh, this is obviously Monday's program. We briefly went to a weekly program for a couple weeks mm-hmm, there. We were mm-hmm. on vacation. But and the public demanded <laughs> they were so two angry. a week, two free episodes a week they instead of one. They were so angry. They were like, why isn't there an after show? Uh, and we're like, because we're on a beach in Mexico. <laughs> Actually, nobody cared. All right. So, Kevin, what is coming up on Thursday's show? Well, on Thursday, we're going to be reviewing the Apple TV Plus series. It's called Bad Sisters. Ooh, it's Irish. It's set in Ireland, yes. Yes, it's very, very Irish. Lots of potatoes. Not a lot of potatoes. No, there's like zero potatoes. Lots of cute high-waisted pants, though. Yeah, Mm -hmm. as we are known for in Ireland. And lots of swimming, which are also known for. Lots of swimming. Drinking and lots of... They are uh, known for that, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, it's it's a, a dark comedy murder mystery, and it's called Bad Sisters. Yes. Toby, before we start, I have a question for you. You're a fan of um, Pearl Jam, right? Sure. So I want to play a, a quick clip from a song, and I want you to tell me, what is this lyric? You ready? On the feeling. <laughs> yeah. That? Yeah, Play that. it again. What, what, Play what, it again. what is that? Play All right, well, you jump into What is this? On the ceiling. On the ceiling. What do you think, Toby? I thought it was something about feeling, but I honestly, I have no idea. All right, well, hold on. <laughs> do you know? Are, is that what yes. we're getting oh, to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, okay. yeah. Kevin and I are obsessed with this whole song, by the way. <laughs> right. We have been what, for a long time. What, he, what he's saying is the word. <laughs> oh, God. Unsealed. I what? swear to fucking what? God. Unse- Ready? Listen, Listen again. He's, on the ceiling? On, he's saying on the oh, ceiling? He turns the word unsealed into a fucking four-syllable word. <laughs> wow. By the way, you could play a whole game. This is the song <laughs> Yellow Led Better by Pearl Jam. And Kevin and I have played <laughs> whole games where we just listen to the song. And by the way, now we know what all the lyrics are because we've played the game so many times where you just listen to like a sentence from the song and yeah. try to guess what the words are. But it's yes. A- on a sea lid, <laughs> on a porch, I let us say it. <laughs> I let you say what I want to leave it again. On a sea lid. On a ce- I'm still saying on the ceiling, and I'm going to say it's about sex or Unsealed. something. Unsealed. Unsealed. No. Unsealed. Sex on the ceiling. That's what I'm I going to say. Unsealed on a porch. What was the next thing? On a porch? Unsealed on a porch, a letter sat. That's not how it sounds. <laughs> wow yeah. well they're in, you know what they're in the the mood they're in the vibe they're in the groove yes. yeah it's legit one of my favorite pearl jam songs it's completely unintelligible yeah but he it may actually just be has some- sight reading phonetically yeah but you know it actually has something to do with our our review today because well because of the title of the thing well Rebecca, how about we just jump into it okay i'm gonna drop that first clip right now we had a guy he's 27 years old built like a baby bull gone they suspect a heart attack but 
symptoms were funny. And I said, well, what do you mean by symptoms were funny? He said he was still alive and his eyes were fixed and dilated and non-responsive, just like if he was dead. In 1982, authorities were baffled when seemingly healthy people were suddenly dying. They concluded the Tylenol they'd recently bought in Chicago area stores had been laced with cyanide. No one knew how many more poison bottles were out there or where the killer might strike next. We don't know the extent of the contamination, so I think at this time uh, it would be wise not to take extra strength Tylenol at all. In the past 40 years, the culprit has not been identified. Investigators had two strong suspects, but could not pin the crimes on either one of them. Now, two reporters recapping the case seek answers from the man they suspect responsible for poisoning seven people. That was a long time ago, 40 years ago. I know, 40 years. Do you have any theories on who is the Tylenol killer? I think that's fairly obvious. Not to me. Ladies, you've been harassed over something for 40 years you didn't have anything to do with? In the podcast Unsealed, the Tylenol Murders from the Chicago Tribune and At Will Media, reporters Christy Gutowski and Stacey St. Clair dig through the files of the famous cold case. They also examine the two main suspects, hoping to solve the mystery before it's too late. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from the Tylenol Murders. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. All right, so Kevin, this is the 40th anniversary, basically, of this case, Mm -hmm. which is why we're hearing about it now. So this is, what do you think, a recap of the case? How would you define this podcast? Well, I mean, I think as a recap in and of itself, it's pretty good. Good recap of an unsolved case. It probably could stand alone just as this without any additional reporting, but it is difficult to sort of locate important people after 40 years. But I understand that they interviewed more than 150 sources. What? Yeah. How did you find that? Because the Chicago Tribune also has a pretty decent online companion to Mm. the podcast. And that was one of the, I was kind of wondering, well, I mean, we didn't hear 150 people. We did hear a lot of, and some of those, you know, we know are background sources and stuff, people in law enforcement who can't go on the record and whatnot. But, you know, having written something about, an event that happened decades earlier, it is pretty hard to kind of track down those people. So it's a lot of work to do that. And, you know, they put in hard work and they reap the rewards. So, Laura, one thing that we're not allowed to do in this podcast and we will never do in this podcast is comment on women's voices. However, (laughs) we have two women hosts in this podcast. And to me, the only difference between their two voices is that one of them has a very distinct Chicago accent and one of them does not. Mm hmm. Do you think, and by the way, this is not a commentary on whether or not there should be two women hosting this podcast. Obviously, that's not problematic in any way. Yeah. But did you find, as I did, that the very straight reporting of this podcast and the sort of intersection of these two women reporters just sort of taking over here, there, here, there, and here, there? Yeah. Did you find that in some ways took away from the fact that like this was supposed to be a driving forward narrative because I sometimes found myself feeling like I was listening to something sort of being laid out to me in a way that was difficult to follow. Oh, absolutely. And I saw Toby had the same thought. So yeah, no, I definitely, I felt like this was like great reporting, but there were a lot of times I feel like I lost big chunks of what happened because it was all to me told in the same sort of very 
direct, like this is what happened and then this is what happened and we're switching back and forth between the two women. And honestly, I maybe just because I was listening as I was like, you know, doing dishes or walking or doing laundry or whatever. Honestly, I didn't even differentiate them sometimes because I was like, oh, someone else, you know. So to me, I feel like the way that it was told, like all the information was there, but it was just sort of level the whole time. So for me, I didn't know like when I was supposed to really pay attention more, when there was something really big happening, because it just all sort of sounded the same, Hmm. if that makes sense. Well, no, it does make sense because really at the heart of this story, um, one of the things that really surprised me, Toby, and I didn't remember this because the podcast opens with this very interesting and really tragic story. Um, did you remember that like three of the cases in the Tylenol murder started basically with one family and this one incident where one guy died and then everybody went to the hospital and he died and then everybody came home and then two other people took Tylenol and they had to be rushed to the hospital. That's not a detail I remembered at all. And that was like a very dramatic opening for this. She was holding on to my arm and all of a sudden she let go and I heard her groan and I turned around and she collapsed right there. Chuck shined a flashlight into Terry's eyes, but they were fixed and dilated. I'm looking at what's going on. I said, guys, this isn't heart attacks. There's something wrong. Yeah, I mean, I I think the first episode is one of the two strongest episodes. I honestly, my memory of this is just there was some poison Tylenol. You know, it was 40 years ago. I was in high school and it was just like something that was on the news or whatever. Um, Yeah, no, I I thought the first episode was, it was a good way to open it, right? Because I think... If they hadn't had that, just the way the rest of it goes, I think it would have been easy to lose sight of what the actual impact of what happened was, because then you you really sort of get in the weeds about these different suspects and, you know, the ins and outs of different things that happened to them. And if you hadn't had this original episode, I think it would have been really hard to connect to the fact that what they're being investigated for is actually something you know, very serious. And it's, it's almost a definition of terrorism, right? Is that, although I guess there's not an obvious political aim, but it's just like, you're making it so that suddenly people are scared about taking, you know, one of the most popular over-the-counter medicines, I would assume in the country. And suddenly it's like, oh shit, this thing could be poisoned. So yeah, I mean, that, that, that was kind of my take on it. Yeah. Toby, did you find the podcast was the same pitch throughout? I mean, Laura mentioned that that was in your notes too, but like, did you find yourself thinking like this is the same pitch and I'm listening to a story being told in the same way throughout all these episodes? You know, I, I did. I found myself when it when it was over and I was thinking back on it, I had a hard time distinguishing like which event happened to which person. Right. Same. I mean, there was a good momentum. It moved. It didn't bog down or anything, but there wasn't, you know, like you guys know when you're writing like there's this whole thing where you you try and get, you know, build up tension and then release tension, build up tension, release tension. I don't think it works quite like that in podcasting, but I do think it's sort of distinguishing things that are, are really important or that are specifically indicative of this person or this incident or whatever, and sort of highlighting those rather than having it be just like another thing in a whole bunch of different things that are given about the same sort of weight. So that that was one thing that I guess I struggled with a little bit, and it's not really a comment on their reporting, 
or the writing or anything like that. I think it's just more sort of presentation where it came up a little short for me. Well, it's almost like if they had more sound design to sort of break up different pieces of the story, I think certain parts would have stood out. Because like when I was sitting down to write my notes, I was like, so which guy chopped up the guy and put him in the attic? I'm like, <laughs> one of the guys chopped up the guy and put, I'm like, why don't I remember that part? Yeah. Well, well is that a you issue, Laura? Or is no, that a podcast no, 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 issue? I will tell you, it doesn't help that the guy that we're talking about who did that, Laura, is James Lewis. We first hear that because the cop is like, oh, that's James Lewis. And then yeah. he ends up being the attic guy. But the first time we had heard about him where he was the husband of the accountant who worked at the firm where the letter came from, he had a different name. So we hear that transition. But then he's referred to as Lewis the whole rest of the podcast. So mm-hmm. it, it doesn't help that, you know, I would say, Kevin, there is some signposting deficiency in the show. There is some signposting. In some ways, and in some ways, it's very good. But I it feel like, by the way, I think the reporters in this are great. I think the reporting is great. I think the reporters are great. I just want to throw it out there. I do not think this is in any way a deficiency of the two reporters, the center of this at all. I love the origin story of this podcast, that they planned to do it. And then it was in a folder. And then they got sent another assignments. And the one person went back and got it. I Correct. love that part. I love the whole thing. But I will say, I feel like whoever brought this to audio for them, the structure and the signposting maybe just wasn't strong enough for me, which is why I felt that way. Do you disagree? Well, I mean, I, by disagree, I did not have an issue with that, but I can't disagree that other people might. I mean, it's not as dense as, uh, you know, who killed Daphne or, you know, one of these other multi-layered investigation slash recaps of crimes that we've done recently because in a way, I mean, you really you have a lot of different voices of different kinds of people, law enforcement and people who knew victims and whatnot. But as far as where we are focused, we are really focused on two suspects. Mm-hmm. So it's not like Lewis a, and Arnold. Right. Uh, James Lewis and Roger Arnold. And it's it's not like there's a huge other rogues gallery of people you got to keep track of. Because I mean, think in real life, there were a couple of other people, including Ted Kaczynski, right? At one point, they thought, well, maybe the Unabomber is this guy. Like, they don't even get into that. Just for the efficiency of this, we're really looking at these two guys because at the end, that's the big question, right? If you're going to say, I mean, it could be an unknown third person, but things point to either one of these guys being really strong suspects. Although I think each of us, if we had to be polled, I think we probably all have an opinion on who it might be. I have an opinion. I think that's obvious, Kevin. Is it obvious? Not for me. (laughs) Yeah, hold on, yeah. I think uh, there's two guys, and they each have two first names for (laughs) their full names. Good point. Very good point. A lot of first names going on. Yeah. Very, very good point. It's like when you see a guest star in Law & Order, you know they did it. If you have three names, you are probably a bad criminal. Well, there's, you know, Lee Harvey Oswald had three first names. John Hinckley Jr. Hinckley Jr. No, Sirhan Sirhan. He had two <laughs> first names and no last name. Yeah. I mean, that's neither here nor there, I guess. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. All right, so Kevin, here we are in the business section of the podcast. What yeah. What about going on on our Patreon, Kevin? Well, we have a special deal for people with three names. <laughs> if you have two first names... See how organic this is? Yeah. <laughs> Look, we're, we're on the Crime Writers on After Show. We're going to be talking about, well, it's a couple days on now, but it's still fresh to us. We want to talk about the season finale of The Patient, which we all liked, but we saw we only really talked about nine out of the ten episodes the tenth was in. And I think we have thoughts about whether or not it was the ending that we, we wanted and what it kind of meant. So I think we really want to dig into that. Okay. What else we got, Kevin? Well, we have all sorts of things like uh, Lara Bricker's, I was going to say Lara Bricker's deep dive, but no. <laughs> it is oh, always a deep dive. No, though. no, it's it's leave it to Bricker. And yes. Lara's always getting into uh, into trouble in her quaint AF town of Exeter, New Hampshire. Yeah, and uh, you're not going to want to miss the next leave it to Bricker. And I can't say why, but I'm just going to say it's something that any Bricker scale listener should listen to. All okay, right. Okay, super. Also, Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast coming out with a new episode very soon. It's uh, The book is called Two Truths and a Lie. Mm. Toby, tell us about your uh, guest that came on to discuss that book. We had Bill Rankin and Chris Joyner mm. from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Mm -hmm. They're actually in Chris's basement, situated just mere feet away from each other. In his rumpus uh, room? It's rumpus room. room. Yep. Uh, it was a really good conversation. I think people will like it a lot. They had a lot of, um, you know, interesting insights as, as very experienced, seasoned reporters uh, talking about a book in which it, it sort of focuses on the on the author as she investigates this case and wh where she thinks that somebody might have been wrongfully convicted and then executed. So yeah, it's it's, it's super interesting. I encourage people to listen. Hmm. Sounds you great. You know, I went to a bridal shower once where they played two truths and one lie. Hmm. And um, what I thought was the lie was actually the truth. And it was the bride saying, I'm pregnant. <laughs> oh. oh. There you go. <laughs> that that doesn't come up in our the deep banjo. <laughs> <laughs> what was the lie? I'm I don't not like pregnant. cats. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, this was Lara's bridal shower. No, it wasn't. It oh. actually wasn't. Oh, but okay. Was Just it was checking. <laughs> wasn't mine. All right. What else have we got, Kevin, going on? Well, want to give one last push on Friday in the beautiful city of Concord, New Hampshire. Beautiful. We're going to be live at the Bank of New Hampshire stage. There's a bar. For, there is a bar for the live performance of These Are Their Stories, the Law and Order podcast. Live taping. Live taping. We're going to do a little thing in the beginning where a professor from Hudson University will come out and give you your law and order degree. We'll also discuss the eight noble truths of law and order. Wow. And then we will get into a live recording. Our guests are from the Civics 101 podcast, hosts Nick Capodice and 
Hannah McCarthy, along Ooh. with Rebecca Lavoy and myself. We're talking about an episode from, I believe it's season nine. It's called Inconceivable. The greatest. We've already covered it, but it was it it's was a couple the- years ago. I have to bring it back. It's the episode in which somebody steals a vat of frozen embryos. Yes. And so the oh. sex police have to go out and recover yes. the container of frozen embryos before the coolant and runs it has, out. It has one of the best endings of any Law & Order episode in any franchise of all time. And that sort of sounded like that guy in The Princess Bride. Yes. Inconceivable. Exactly. Which guy was that? Yeah. Wallace Shawn. Yes, exactly. Yes. All right, so Kevin, is that it for our business section? Yeah, thus ends the business section. All right, I'm going to go ahead and fade that music out right now. So, Kevin, there's a lot of the Tylenol murders investigation that's defined by classic turf wars, right? Oh, yeah, right, right. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, obviously, if you have, I mean, this would be expected if you have, you know, poisonings that are happening in different locations. The FBI gets involved. I'll tell you, the one thing that I took away, and of course, everybody's going to kind of defend their territory, is that the Chicago police really didn't come off great in this, or at least I'll say the other people involved like the FBI and the state AG, they were a little more politic about it. You know, they had a PowerPoint. They had, well, <laughs> no, I'm saying back in 82, looking back at it there, you know, yeah, there was a term. Well, maybe so. There was no, it was all cooperation. Was, nobody seemed to like really be carrying a grudge except the cop from Chicago who was like really shit talking the FBI. And it's like, okay, I get you, but we realize that the reason the FBI is involved is because of a huge corruption scheme with your police department. So you don't really come to this with clean hands. Yeah. And just also the idea that like when they finally have, I guess it's Arnold. Yes, they were going to read technique him. That cop was like, I could have got the confession out of him. With sort of, we're like, with no regard to actually whether he did it. It's certainly a 1982 attitude and not a 2022 attitude. If they had left us alone... We probably could have got the guy to flip. He wanted to be go down in history as being the mastermind, you know, the the guy that could get do the crime that he could kill a whole bunch of people and get away with it. But he was denying it, right? Well, we didn't we didn't put it right on him at the start. All right, so Kevin, you and I disagree about who the more likely suspect is for the yeah, Tylenol. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. do. I actually think Arnold is a more likely suspect than Lewis. We disagree on that. Yeah. That being said. That cop was totally reed-techniquing that guy. <laughs> he took him out for a steak sandwich. They were like, let's just leave him alone for a long while. Let's just be super friendly. And then after like 12 hours of being alone, we'll get him to flip. Like, that was the fucking plan. I'm like, well, that's not in any way taking into account that A, he had cyanide in his house. B, he had like he had all his other reasons why. Yeah, I'm sure they wanted to really question him about that. You should that perhaps in a way. Yeah. do actual investigation and not just plan to read technique. That for me was not a good look. Laura, what did you hear when you heard what their plan was to actually try to get a confession? I think for me, I just definitely took from this that this was a different time in police work. The way that the investigation was done was difficulty sharing information among agencies. Okay, we're going to just like either strong arm or schmooze or do whatever. And I always find that interesting to have that sort of window into how things were done, then compare that to how things are done now, because you can definitely see how the criminal justice system has evolved and how policing has evolved and investigations. But it's also like, 
when it was happening, it was like, how were they getting the information out? And I loved like, wasn't there like a Dan Rather clip on the news when this first happened? And like, that was like the big news. But other than that, information sharing was different. And the way that interrogations were done was very different. And so I think that just to me highlights like how far we've come, but also like, what the fuck? I'm not sure it's how far we've come. Toby, what did you think when you heard about how that cop was planning to get that confession out of Arnold? Is that the way? And he was like, he's like, we're buttering him up. Like we're saying that must have been some kind of genius who pulled this one off. (laughs) (laughs) They must have success with it sometimes. Uh, I mean, the problem. That guy literally went to his grave believing that Arnold did it. And by the way, I, Kevin and I have had like eight discussions about this. I actually do think Arnold is a stronger suspect than Lewis. I still do. The thing I was thinking about a lot was the anthrax uh, stuff right after 9-11. Yes. And about how hard it is to catch people who do stuff like this. Like, even if you think you have good suspects... They had one suspect who who ended up being so stressed that he, he he killed himself. Then another suspect who was just like bullshit. It's not me, and sort of stood them down. In this, they've got two suspects, and you guys are kind of arguing about which one it is. Forty years later, it just seems like these are very difficult things to solve. Whether it's in 1980 or or, or 2001, or I assume now, but I, I didn't end up when this thing was over with like a strong feeling of one person over the other, other than it seemed as though they were trying to make the case that it was Lewis right. and not mm-hmm. Arnold. Well, we know that Lewis very likely killed the dude in the attic. Yeah. Like, even though he wasn't yeah. convicted for that, right? Yeah, because they, they fucked up his Miranda rights. Right. Yeah. And then we, but we also know that Arnold definitely killed the other dude with a gun. Yeah, John Stanish. You know, I'll tell you that one of the things that jumped out to me, one of the most interesting passages was that the daughter of that shooting victim, John Stanishaw, kind of explained, like, what happened that night. Then my dad was like, I don't want to die. Oh, my God, I've been shot. I don't want to die. And then he stopped, and he's like, I'm dying. I'm dying. And then he died. And then, actually, when we hear the story, we don't realize it's the wrong guy. Mm. That Roger Arnold was looking for Marty Sinclair, who was the bartender who ratted him out. And it was a guy who looked just like him. And see, this is one of the things to me about Roger Arnold. And I'm going to look at Laura and I'm going to ask you. And I know like we talk about demeanor evidence as being kind of bullshit, the way people act. Mm -hmm. But you're about to use it. But I'm about to use it. And I'm probably about to agree. (laughs) Okay. Roger Arnold was informed that he shot the wrong guy and was inconsolable and went to jail very contrite and every, you know, he really took that apparently. Yeah. Doesn't sound like the same kind of guy that would randomly poison a bunch of random innocent people. Like, why would he be so emotional about shooting the wrong guy, the wrong guy getting it? Yeah. As opposed to a whole bunch of random victims. Yeah. No, I I, I tend to agree on this, Kevin. And I'll say hearing his reaction and he said something like, I killed a man, a perfectly innocent person. I had choices. I could have walked away. Like, he seems sincere. He seems like oh shit, I didn't mean to do this. Again, like if you have the mental capacity to put cyanide in the Tylenol jars and kill totally random innocent people, then why are you upset about shooting the wrong person? And then that combined with when 
my favorite scene when they go to Cambridge. And I was like, ooh, he's in Cambridge. Maybe I'll go see Mr. Lewis. Uh, <laughs> Mr. He's Lewis. still there, apparently. It's me, Laura Bricker. Do you like cats? Uh, <laughs> you could probably uh, chase him down, Laura, if you wanted to. Well, I could. I'd be like, hello. Um, but when they go see him and they're like, you don't want to talk to the Chicago, Chicago Tribune. Blah, 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 blah. And he's like, who do you think it is? And he's like, I think that's obvious. And I'm like, yeah, it's you. <laughs> So, you know, like... Mr. Lewis, you used to like to talk to the Chicago Tribune. Why are, are you so quiet now? Everyone else is talking. Ty Fainer. We'd like to present our findings to you. Do you have my card? I'm Christy Katowski. I left it for you in June. So, this is the thing. We don't fucking know. But in my opinion, the dude who we know actually had cyanide in his house who worked at the distribution center where the Tylenol was actually being boxed and sent to stores who actually mm-hmm. had a connection to one of the people who actually was a victim of it. I don't think his later contrition for shooting a wrong person up close and personal has anything to do with it. That being said, I think James Lewis was a crazy person who also was, a, I mean, they, we have two obviously bad people. Well, his extortion letter apparently was written before. It was well, so no. We have two damaged that people. Was, say we have two no, damaged people. That was, I think was, that sounds We have better. two, no, 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 no. Like, I, I don't think that has anything to do with anything. That was a whatever. Well, I'm glad you're not in charge of the FBI. I think their PowerPoint <laughs> is bullshit. I think their PowerPoint is stupid fucking bullshit. Is bullshit. Toby, I'm, uh, I'm all not, PowerPoints are bullshit. Toby, I'm okay, not. Asking. Can we talk about the guy in the attic? Well, that guy was definitely killed by Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> Toby, Lewis is an interesting character, though. I mean, you have to admit, he clearly has some issues and he clearly is one of these people who does bad deeds over and over and over again. It sounds like he did in prison and rape his business partner. He did kill that guy in the attic and was Raymond only, West and was only not able to, you know, be in prison for that because he wasn't Mirandized properly. Again, great police work guys. Um, <laughs> he clearly has some very bad tendencies. So what do you think of just sort of this portrait of Lewis that we are given in this podcast? I, I thought that was the other strong part of the podcast, quite honestly, was his sort of arc and how, whether he did it or not, you know, he kind of gets put in the frame because he's lived this pretty felonious, sketchy life. You know, I thought it was interesting that their thing with trying to get him to self-incriminate is like, well, let's write a book about it. And thinking that he was enough of a narcissist that he's going to want to take credit for the cleverness and thinks that he's going to be able to have this screen of fiction to like prevent it from being connected yeah, so I, I thought that I thought that whole I thought that whole part was good, and you know I, I realize why you wouldn't do it this way, but um, like I would almost be more interested in listening to a podcast about him and yep. have that sort of intersection with the Tylenol thing be like a sort of interesting little sidelight to what was otherwise this this kind of crazy existence where he did a whole bunch of. Of stuff and and a lot of it just it seemed sort of like without a plan, just sort of seat of his pants kind of thing. And I and I think that's that that's kind of an interesting thing to explore. So anyway, yeah. My my feeling about the whole podcast is there's a few like sort of outstanding parts, but that in general is is really kind of hard to distinguish between things for me. So quick question. Am I the only person who thinks Arnold, not Lewis, of the four of us? I'm the only one. I think you are. I don't think I have a very you strong opinion. opinion. All right. So I guess I'm one out of three. And then uh, we have a no vote over there. Just asking for the record. Okay. 
Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know how do we feel about the podcast Unassealed. Unassealed. <laughs> Unsealed the Tylenol murders. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for this podcast? So this is interesting. So I, I don't remember when this happened. I was like a little kid, obviously in Vermont, no TV, no media. But I, I think a lot of people, I mentioned this to some friends this week, what I was listening to. Oh yeah, I remember when that happened. So I think if you were, you know, alive and cognizant of what was happening in the world when this happened, I think this is really interesting. I think you've got two of the top investigative reporters in Chicago out there doing tremendous reporting on this. It's extremely thorough. Two things that I felt like for me didn't work. It was it was pretty long. And I think that could have been improved by kind of changing the way that the sound design was done so that it was broken up so that there was a better sort of alert as to what was important and what wasn't important and how to follow the story just maybe in a different way. Because sometimes for me, I got lost a bit as I was listening to it because it was a really straight reporting style type of podcast. But I can't say anything but good about the reporting that was done here and what went into this. And I liked the way that the ending wrapped it up with a little bit of a sort of an editorial question. And I thought that was an appropriate ending. So I'm going to go a thumbs up, but it's, I, I didn't love it, but I think that the reporting was really top. It was just the way that it was packaged for me could have been done a little bit differently to have a bigger impact in the way that I absorbed the story. Toby Ball, what do you think? You know, I think one of the things about sort of reviewing podcasts week after week after week after week is, you know, I'm not always sort of experiencing them in the same way each week. And I feel like this is the kind of podcast, which if I'd been going on a long drive and could have just sort of immersed myself in the story uh, and just been totally focused on that, in addition, of course, to having my eyes on the road, would have been a good, like that would have been a good environment to listen to it. I'm going to give it a thumbs up for a lot of the same reasons Laura did. You know, a little bit more creativity in how it was put together would have, I think, better leveraged the sort of excellent reporting and the and the really good writing and the story. But I would say, you know, again, if you're if you're going on a trip and you want to get sort of immersed in an interesting case, 
I would recommend that sort of scenario for being the best situation to listen to this. But I give it a thumbs up. Kevin Flynn. Yeah, I'm a thumbs up. I mean, I think it's solid reporting. You know, you can teach a journalist who's not a podcaster how to narrate and how to be a podcaster. You can't teach somebody who's a podcaster first to be a good journalist. So you've got two really experienced journalists. In and of itself, it would make a very competent retelling of a crime story, but they actually advance the narrative, which is really important and really grabs us. We start right from the opening scene where we know that they are going to be confronting somebody who could be the Tylenol killer. So now I am in. I think that it was put together really well. And just sort of as a side note, if you are a subscriber of the Chicago Tribune, it's got an excellent supplemental online piece with timelines and transcripts and other documents that they went through. A lot of work went in it. So you got to reward that with a thumbs up. Yeah, I'm giving it a thumbs up, too, for the reporting. I mean, one thing we didn't talk about in our review was like the due diligence and the great reporting this team did and sort of like sitting with sources and coffee shops for hours off the record and like getting material that they weren't like supposed to have. And looking at it and being able to confirm it with like eight other people kind of stuff, which is like really great reporting. It really, really is really, really impressive stuff. The issue for me with this podcast has always just been like signposting, you know, audio stuff, just like the way audio stories are put together, which has nothing to do with these journalists reporting. Um, I will say, and it's not fair That I'm also listening to Bone Valley at the same time I'm listening to this. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Bone I, Valley. I, I binged this podcast in a two day period in between listening to episodes seven and eight of Bone Valley, mm-hmm. each of which are more than an hour long and could be boring and difficult and thick, but are so signposted and done so well. And just to compare the two is not fair, but it's difficult not to. So, yeah, I have to give this a thumbs up. It's very well done. There are imperfections. It's thick. It's slow. It could be signposted better. And I do think, to be fair, it does tip its hand in one direction in a way that, like, I found myself as a listener leaning to the other direction. I actually like that because I'm like, you know what? They just laid it out and you and I disagree. Right, Kevin? That's actually good journalism, yeah, I right? I think you're you're on an island all on your own here. I don't know. Maybe not. All right. So guess this thumbs up for me for Unsealed okay. the Tylenol. Unsealed. You can't teach a podcaster to be a good journalist. I think that's a, that's a t-shirt worthy quote. That's oh, right. there you go. Yes. That's right. All right. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast. A little something I like to call... The crime of on a ceiling. Crime of the week. And I know there's a whole part of the boxer and the bag. Am I the boxer or the bag? <laughs> a venomous king cobra that slithered out of its king enclosure. Cobra. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta stop. A venomous king cobra that slithered out of its enclosure at a Swedish zoo was finally recaptured after six days, only to escape again. Park officials used radar to locate the snake hidden in a wall. After coaxing him back into his terrarium, the cobra slipped out again. There's a snake. (laughs) (laughs) Is that a cobra in your pocket? (laughs) 
The staff had just replaced the ceiling light with low-energy bulb. Mm. They suspect because the bulb did not generate the same amount of heat as the old bulbs, the snake took advantage and squeezed through the seam in the lighting. Thanks, Obama. The cobra's name was Sir Hiss, but he's been renamed Houdini. As of this recording, Houdini has still not been found, but zoo officials insist somehow that visitors are not in danger. (laughs) I don't fucking know why. There's a snake there (laughs) and a gift shop. Where was was this again? Sweden. Sweden? Uh, Yeah, they don't care. So, panel, if you name a snake Houdini, you know he's going to become an escape artist. Can you come up with a more helpful name for this snake? What do you think, Lara Bricker? Uh, no, thank you. I want nothing to do with snakes. No, thank you. Nope. I stepped on a, s- nope, nope, <laughs> nope. When I was like four years old, I stepped on a snake with bare feet when I was walking with my grandmother, even though she told me to put shoes on. Mm. And I just can't even look at a snake oh, in a picture now. So. <laughs> and I said, no, no, no. And no, thank you. Nope, nope, nope. All right. So Toby, the snake is on now named Houdini and it has gone missing. So that's very literal. What right. name would you give this snake that would perhaps be more helpful? Uh, I was seeing like Jabba the Hutt. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't move very much. What do you think, Kevin? Sleepy. I'm thinking stay in your fucking cage. How about that? <laughs> stay go the fuck to cage. sleep. How about that? Go the fuck to sleep. Go yeah. the fuck. To, oh, go the fuck to sleep. That's good. Mm. <laughs> All right. We should probably end it on that note. Um, Laura Brooker, if folks want to reach out to you and ask you for even more names for this wonderful snake, how can they find you on Twitter? Uh, they can find me at Laura Brooker. Toby Ball, what about you? How can you be found on Twitter? At Toby Ball and H. Kevin Flynn, what about you? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter Kevin or Instagram, P. <laughs> you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can follow the show at Crime Writers On, and I encourage you to join our incredible community and our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. Just go to our regular Facebook page, hit join the group, answer a couple questions, we'll let you in as long as you're a real person who's not a jerk. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You get the Crime Writers on After Show, Married with Podcast, Lara Bricker's Leave It to Bricker Podcast, and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club Podcasts. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the wonderful Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this fine program is Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, The Closet, in our New Hampshire basement where we practice reading narration in a Chicago accent. No? Not going to do it? On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. Once I saw her her on a beach, something. uh, On a piece of weather? Wait, listen. I want to leave it again. Okay, that part's good. Listen. (laughs) And a wizard and a waiter? BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and 
starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.